With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Running the option on first down. Hagan has it. He has Rome. He's got one man to beat. Now he pitches to Flanagan, and he may take it all the way. Flanagan's in for the touchdown. McKinley Wright from the logo. Got it. Oh, McKinley Wright. Welcome in to the DNVR Buffs podcast presented by the Colorado XOs. I'm Henry Chisholm, and today we're going to do something kind of fun. Um, We haven't talked much about football recently just because we've hit the lull. Like The the coaching staff is pretty much solidified. Um, They're sending out some offers, but none of that stuff is really going to come to fruition for a really long time. So there just really isn't a whole lot going on until camp starts, which could only be about a month away. Um, So I wanted to talk about that and I wanted to talk about it in a fun way. So what we're going to do is go through and figure out which of the skill position players deserve the most playing time because actually because of a bunch of different reasons, Um, because of what's happening in my Madden league and because, uh, The buffs are backed up in some positions, and so I think it could be a fun conversation. Um, And then, also, I have a couple more thoughts about the basketball game. They aren't super positive, if I'm going to be honest, but, you know, that's uh, where we're at right now. So that's what we're going to do first, is talk through just a little bit more of the basketball side of things, and then jump over to some fun football stuff, uh, and hopefully make that jump pretty quickly. First, though... Uh, the Colorado XOs are doing some really awesome things. So, if you guys have been following along, you'll remember that the Colorado Raptors were training at Infinity Park in Glendale. They were a major league rugby team, and then they disbanded. And we learned later that the reason they disbanded was so that the training facility out there could be used for the USA Eagles men's and women's 15s teams, which were basically the U.S. national teams. And since then, this all happened like a year ago, they've 
added this team, the Colorado XOs, which is a rugby team that plays rugby games, but it's comprised of athletes from a whole bunch of different sports. Uh, soccer, basketball, lacrosse, um, just like track and cross country. Um, so many different sorts of athletes. And they've kind of gone through and picked a bunch of them they like and said, we think you guys all have a shot to be on the U.S. national team. So come play some games for the Colorado XOs, and we'll see if we can develop you right here at the Rugby Town National Training Center at Infinity Park in Glendale. And... That way you can easily make that jump. Uh, some cool stuff going on, so make sure you're staying tuned to DMVR Rugby, uh, whether that's the Twitter account, the podcast, uh, on the actual website. Just a whole bunch of cool stuff going on, and we're just now getting into rugby season, so make sure you're checking it out. Okay, so, uh, basketball. Um, let's just start with where Colorado is right now, because I do think that it's really easy to like come into this conversation thinking, wow, everything is bad. Colorado just blew it against Cal the same way that Colorado blew it against Arizona and against Washington. All three teams in the bottom half of the Pac-12. Washington and Cal are the, the two bottom teams in the Pac-12. Um, and when you just think about that and the experience that Buffs fans have had, you know, it's easy to come into this in a pretty dark place. And and very good reasons, because it seems like every time Colorado turns a corner, the rug just gets pulled out from under them. And that's been going on for a while now. Um, and it, it, this time, Colorado got the first win of the road trip against Stanford and then botched the Saturday, but we've seen it both ways. The trend seems to be that it's whenever there's a game that should get Colorado ranked, maybe for two years now, and they were ranked for a little bit last year. Um, but even when they were ranked, there was a few weeks beforehand where you're like, well, they really should be ranked. And then they'd blow a game and you'd be like, well, that's why they weren't, I guess. But you didn't see that win coming, you know? And so it, it that is just the general feeling is that every time Colorado gets to that doorstep, something goes wrong. Whether it's the doorstep of getting to number one in the Pac-12, uh, to taking advantage of what could have been a really great weekend, to just getting ranked, they just haven't quite been able to get over the hump. Um, and that's why things feel so terrible, I think, is because of the way that the season has gone, you know, in the same way that last year, you, you go through all the adversity. Um, and when, like I was saying, you're fighting, get ranked, fighting, get ranked, and you get up there. And then there's the five game losing streak at the end of the season. We don't need to keep repeating that, but that is the, the buffs fan or even the buffs team experience. Um, they haven't quite been able to take the step. Um, and because that's where it's going, because you're not a bad team that's pulling some good wins, Washington State has made some noise, Oregon State's made some noise. You know, the crazy thing is, today, on this Monday, Cal fans are feeling a lot better than Colorado fans are. And again, there's good reason for that, because we just saw what happened on Saturday. But when things get to this point... The point right now being just kind of feeling really, really bad. And Colorado seems to have blown their chance at a Pac-12 title. And they did it in a way that 
You just don't want it to happen, losing to bad teams. It's not like you went and played USC and you lost, and now you just have to live with the loss. Nope. They need to take care of business to get that opportunity, and they didn't. Um, and again, that's just where we are. And again, when we are here, it is sometimes good to look at the big picture. So that's what we're going to do right now. Um, Colorado, sitting in fourth place in the Pac-12. Um, number five, sure, kind of breathing down their neck. Stanford right there. Number six, Arizona. They aren't really a factor, but even at eight and seven, they probably wouldn't be able to catch Colorado anyway. Um, again, this is a good spot. Tad Boyle's never finished in the top four in the Pac-12 in the regular season. Again, we're knocking on a lot of wood, but they're in good position to do that, sitting at number four. The Buffs are sitting, even though maybe not in position to win a Pac-12 title, in position to set a new high watermark for the last decade or whatever in this program. They're in a good place. Um, and that's what I want to speak about first. First, you know what? Let's go through the path to winning the Pac-12. Because the path is still there, even though it doesn't feel like it's going to happen. Um, and the reason why it feels that way is because, first of all, Colorado needs to win out. There is no debate, no discussion. If you don't win out, it's just not going to happen. And then on top of that, they need some help. And the help that they need is USC losing two of the five games that aren't against Colorado. Um, again, not impossible. Uh, play Arizona State and Arizona and Stanford, all those games in or at USC, uh, they also have a road game against Utah, which, you know, road game against Utah is not a phrase anybody likes to hear. And uh, road game at UCLA, whether you want to call that like a real road game, you know they're playing in somebody else's gym. Um, so, again, when we're looking at this path, you need two losses out of those five games. And you can find them. I, I still don't anticipate uh, two of them, but it's certainly possible. And then you need one loss from UCLA as well. Um, Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, um, and uh, UCLA, or USC being the options there. And you could, again, certainly see that happening. Um, getting USC from those two losses to the five losses that Colorado needs, it's not going to be easy. But Colorado can give them one. UCLA can give them another. And then you need... USC to lose another game and UCLA to lose another game. It's not impossible, but with Oregon on the schedule on Thursday, that has to be the focus. Because um, that's a really tough game. And like Tad Boyle was saying last week about the separation games, well, this is another separation game. You know, last week you had Oregon State on Monday. And if you lose that game, then all of a sudden Oregon State is right on your heels in the Pac-12. Um, and Colorado's sitting there saying, hey, maybe we're not a lock to finish top five in this conference. Um, but Colorado won that one. And then there was another game against Stanford with Stanford one game behind Colorado. And Stanford, or I guess Colorado had the win. So if Colorado won that game, they would basically box out Stanford. And that's still about where we are, although not definitely. Um, as it stands now, Colorado in fourth at 10-5. and five. Stanford one game back at 9-6. and six. Colorado is the tiebreaker. 
And so Stanford needs to win two more games than Colorado down the stretch. Um, anything's on the table. Anything's on the table. Um, but that's still looking right there. The, the point of all this, though, being that you play Oregon on Thursday. Oregon's number three in the Pac-12. Colorado's number four. They're actually so neck and neck that Oregon is two and a half games back from USC. Colorado's only two games back. But because of the way the schedule's worked out, Oregon's actually ahead of Colorado in the standings. Um, winning that game goes a long way because Colorado already beat Oregon this season. And so you would have the tiebreaker against Oregon the same way that you have the tiebreaker against Stanford, the same way that you would have the tiebreaker against USC if you beat them. And uh, it's pretty crazy that you could have all those tiebreakers and still be, <laughs> be talking about please getting a buy. Um, so yeah, first of all, you got to take care of business against Oregon. And then maybe you get to start having that number one conversation. If, if upsets happen, you know, whatever, then maybe that becomes back on the table. But if you lose to Oregon and all of a sudden you're 10 and six, if Stanford wins on Thursday, which they certainly could because they're playing Washington, they're on the road, but they should beat Washington. Well, then all of a sudden that tiebreaker is what's keeping Colorado in fourth place ahead of Stanford. Um, and then if you have one more bad night where Colorado loses and Stanford wins, well, then Stanford gets that number four seed. Um, so that's where Colorado sits now. Um, those are the threats. Um, Oregon, the game Saturday, that is big because it gives you a chance to take that tiebreaker and also overtake them in the standings at the same time. Um, we talk a lot about getting first place in the Pac-12 because obviously the championship is what the whole regular season's all about. We talk a lot about the number four seed for two reasons. First, that four teams get a bye in the Pac-12 tournament and also because Colorado's never finished in the top four in the Pac-12. Um, and so sometimes we forget that it is better to finish number three than number four um, because it isn't a huge jump because either way you get the buy, the difference being you just play a little bit easier opponent all the way through. That should not be understated though, especially this late in the season. And that's the sort of thing that's on the line against Oregon. Um, again, it's a weird year with Arizona not in the tournament. We haven't seen the bracket, I don't believe, but basically... Uh, there'll be a fifth buy. The number five seed won't have to play anybody in that first round, assuming they don't do something like totally off the rails with this tournament. That would mean that in the next round, uh, the number five team would play the number four team. That uh, is not a good situation to be in with number five being Stanford. So while the number four team plays the number five team, the number three team gets to play the winner of number six and number 11. So obviously you'd rather play six than number five, but the real kicker is that who knows? Maybe Cal pulls an upset. Washington, I guess, would probably be the number 11 team depending on how things play out. Washington could pull the upset and you, you're giving yourself a chance to play a, a worse team, somebody from way down the conference. If you're number four, you're locked in to playing number five. If you're number three, you're playing either number six or number 11. We talked about the number 11. If you play the number six, which is what's likely to happen, that means you're playing Utah instead of Stanford. To me, the gap between Utah and Stanford may as well be uh, a mile. 
And that's why right now, as we stop talking for maybe the rest of the season about getting that number one seed, getting that number three seed is huge. Getting the number three seed is very huge. Um, Getting the number two seed is just even better because then all of a sudden you take Utah out of the picture and you're talking about, are we playing Oregon state or are we playing Arizona state? And actually Arizona state scares me just a little bit still, just because you know how much talent they have, but they haven't been winning games and they've played so few games that honestly, if they are as good, I mean, they certainly aren't as good as people were saying they are, but if they're closer than they've looked to this point, then they won't be four and six. They'll be, you know, five games left. They could be nine and six. Um, more likely, they're more right at 500 would be my guess. Um, but the point is, the difference between four and three has never been bigger than th- it, it, it will be this year. The difference between four and five, I mean, outside of other seasons where somebody hasn't participated... It has never been smaller than it has before. And so, again, you're you're likely not getting the big win, the, the conference title this year. But these little wins will make things easier down the stretch once you do get into the Pac-12 tournament. Um, and once you get into the NCAA tournament as well, because everything you do that moves you up in the Pac-12 standings is going to be moving you up in all the net rankings, the Ken Palm rankings, all the different things that the committee looks at when they put together the bracket. And again, better the seed, the better the matchups. Um, so yeah, that's, that's where things are. And yes, Monday, February 15th does not feel like a, a good day to be a Buffs basketball fan just because of what the Buffs have gone through the last four or five games with a couple of tough losses. In the grand scheme of things, there hasn't been a better time to be a Buffs fan in years. Um, so, again, as as we reset, which is not a fun thing to have to do, and change the goals from Pac-12 championship to get as high as you can in these standings. Because, again, if you finish number four and you have to play Stanford in the first round, that is a whole lot worse than finishing number three and playing the winner of Utah and Washington. That is that is what is on the line on Thursday against Oregon, and it will continue to be on the line, assuming assuming the Buffs win uh, over the course of the rest of the season, probably with Oregon right on their heels. Um, so yeah, thought that that was important to talk about, and now we're going to talk about something fun. We're going to talk about all the Buffs skill position players because there are so many. And uh, first of all, who do you need to get on the field? Second of all, is there a way to even do it? Um, before we do that, though. Have a couple of shout outs to make to some of our favorite sponsors. And we're going to start with some huge news from Breckenridge Brewery. So, today, February 15th, Breckenridge Brewery has made seltzers available. Um, Breck is finally introducing their seltzer line, and it comes in a beautiful Jokic 15-pack. They've got apple, pear, cherry, peach, berry, and honeydew. Uh, Head to the Breck Beer Locator and see where the closest 15-pack of Breck seltzers is to you and pick one up. Uh, The DMVR fam had them all weekend, and they did not disappoint. So tag us when you get them. Tag Breck when you get them, and let us know what you think. 
Um, I actually was not at the bar this weekend, so I haven't tried any of these, but I'm really, really excited to check them out um, because, again, everybody's been saying that they're incredible. And, again, I'm not... Let me... Here's what I'll say. I do like seltzers better than beer just because, I mean, a whole bunch of reasons. First of all, like, for health reasons, they're typically better for you. Um, They're nice and fruity and... Sometimes beer can be a little bit too beery for me um, still, even though I'm definitely improving that area. I don't know. Um, the point is, I do like seltzers better, but I feel like I don't have strong takes on seltzers. Like, I don't have them often enough just because I don't go buy a bunch of them um, to know which ones are good and which ones are bad. Although I know that some people say that there's huge differences among the seltzers. And I know that everybody in the DMVR chat was very relieved over the weekend to, to find out that the seltzers were very good. Um, because, you know, when you work in my line of work, imagine trying to sell things that aren't good. Well, again, we don't have to do that at DMVR because we have gotten like a bunch of great partners. But I can say I was very happy to hear that the reviews were spectacular from the seltzers. And I'm excited to try some and I hope you are too. Also, it's not quite time for the madness that is college basketball in March, but that doesn't mean the fun has to wait. DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is giving all new players the chance to cash $100. New customers can bet $1 on any team to hit a three-pointer in any basketball game this week, and if your team makes it rain, you cash $100. That's right. All it takes for one or, yeah, all it takes is for one three-pointer being hit by your chosen team to turn $1 into $100, and that sounds like a no-brainer. It, it is a no-brainer. I mean, Colorado's hit a three in every game this season, and yeah, that has to be true. They were one for 15 against Washington. The, the O for line would be a lot more well-known if it existed. Um, so that's what you're going to do. You're going to get on the app. You're going to download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. You're going to use that promo code DMVR, and you're going to turn $1 into $100 when you bet on any team, and I recommend Colorado, to hit a three-pointer in any basketball game this week. That's promo code DMVR for new customers to get a shot at 101 odds on any basketball team to hit a three-point shot only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only, new customers only, restrictions apply, winnings paid out, in four $25 free bets. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. All right. Um, so before we get into what is almost going to be like a power ranking of the Buffs' skill position players on offense, I want to tell you where this comes from. So... I've referenced the DMVR Madden League often in this podcast, and I'm doing it again now because basically I'm overloaded with talent. Here's what happened. So I came into the season with Jaden Daniels at quarterback because he's a rookie and because I drafted him because he was supposed to get drafted in the second and he was still there in the third. And you guys know me. You guys know how high I am on Jaden Daniels, the quarterback at Arizona State. Um, when that happened, I just had to take him and I just had to ditch Derek Carr because, I mean, how could you not want to ditch Derek Carr? Uh, so Jaden Daniels is the starter. But then, again, I came into the season with Aaron Jones at running back, one of the five best running backs in the league in the game. Um, I've got Pat Fryermuth from Penn State at tight end. I've got uh, 
Justin Jefferson and Jarvis Landry and LaVisca Chenault and Kadarius Toney at receiver, which means I'm kind of deep. That's six guys already. Then what happened was Ryan tried to get rid of Tutu Atwell, and I was like, well, I'll take him too, so there's another receiver. Then he tried to get rid of Le'Veon Bell, and I was like, well, I can't just turn down Le'Veon Bell. He's going for too cheap. And so now I have a second running back too. So what I did was I got in my notes app, and I just kind of like tried to put together an order of priority to get these guys on the field, get them touches. Like, what does my offense need? Um, And so then I thought, well, this is kind of a fun conversation to have with the Buffs too, and actually very similar because – When you look at what they have, there's a bunch of receivers, a bunch of guys you want to get on the field. There's also depth at running back you want to get on the field. And to do that, you almost have to sacrifice putting tight ends on the field. And similar to my situation with just Pat Fryermuth, who I want to get out there, Colorado has Brady Russell and, you know, Luke Stillwell is still around and Louis Passareo and uh, Caleb Foria and so many others um, but we just haven't seen a whole lot of production from anyone other than Brady Russell, and that's where we are right now. Um, and so what I did was I tried to put in order how I would split touches, who I would prioritize in this offense, um, and what happened was I couldn't do it. And so I basically just made a list of receivers and running backs and tight ends and said, you know what, once we start the podcast, it'll be easier to figure out who you want where. And now that we're sitting here, it doesn't feel all that easy at all, but we're going to try anyway. So again, the game is this. We've got, I, I listed eight guys just because I figured these were the eight that you really do need to be trying to get on the field. Um, there's probably more. You could probably cut it down to less if you wanted. Um, but I'm going to try to put these eight guys in the order that I would prioritize getting them touches. And then maybe we're going to figure out how there's a way to do that, if at all, because of the positions that these guys play. Um, here's the list. At running back, I included three. Jarek Broussard, Alex Fontenot, Ashad Clayton. At tight end, like I said, just Brady Russell. And then four receivers. And you could really expand this as far as you want. I have Dimitri Stanley, Levante Chenault, Brendan Rice, and Maurice Bell. Um, to start this off, I think that it's pretty obvious that you want Jarek Broussard at number one. He's 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 made the name for himself. People know who Jarek Broussard is because he was that good this season. You've got to keep him at number one. He's the guy that you really want to get the ball in his hands more than anybody else in this offense. And that's that. Um, again, the way offenses work, you have your five linemen, you have your quarterback, and then you have your flexibility with the five skill position players. If you wanted, you could go with five wide receivers. You could go with five running backs. Uh, you could go with five tight ends. Only the five receiver thing gets used out of all those, um, but you have all the other combinations as well. Um, so, Jared Broussard at number one. And then that's where it really gets hard. Um I'll start saying my thoughts out loud and they're this. Alex Fontenot is proven as well. He's a a starting caliber running back in the Pac-12. And he should firmly be in this conversation for number two guy who you want to get on the field and get touches for. He isn't the only one though. And because of him taking the year off and all that, the conversation 
becomes tougher. Um, I'm going to throw two more names in. First of all, Brady Russell. And the reason Brady gets into this conversation is because, I mean, honestly, because he's a good football player. And it's not because he's somebody who say he's a game changer when you put him on the field. Um, he's he's somebody who you expect to go put up 100 yards day in and day out. Like, that's not necessarily it. But he can do a lot of different things. He can block. When you think about what this team is, the identity is in the trenches. Even with Will Sherman and Mustafa Johnson moving on, the strength of this team is still the offensive and defensive line. A tight end is an extension of that offensive line. That's just saying, you know what? We're this good. If we tack this on the end, we're going to be just as good and we can make you bring in one more rush defender and still beat you. You're going to have to bring in two instead of one to outnumber, you know, that sort of thing. And because Brady can provide that addition to the running game on top of being uh, um, an improved receiver. The one game he played, he had almost 70 yards. Uh, He looked like the safety outlet for Sam Neuer. Um, He's incredibly valuable there too. He is going to get this number two spot. And I'll say there was Dimitri Stanley who was also in uh, conversation. But I do think that at this point, you know, Brady Russell has the experience Um, I think that he's proven his value, and I think he's done that to a higher degree than Dimitri Stanley. And again, this isn't like trying to bash bash Dimitri or anybody else by any means. There's there's five guys on the field no matter what. You know, the difference between being number two and number three really doesn't matter. Um, I do think that maybe next year Dimitri steps up a notch here. Maybe even more than that if it's a good year. And I think that there are other guys who have that capability as well. So I'm going to start with Jarek. I'm going to go Brady Russell, number three. And now I'm left with Fontenot or Dimitri Stanley. Um, I'm going to... I'm going to go Dimitri. Dimitri. He's played well. He's one of the best slot receivers in the Pac-12. He's proven that... He is worthy of playing at this level. And at the same time, I think that he certainly has the ability to prove he's capable of more. You know, he's somebody you look at and say, if, if he keeps getting sharper, if he keeps producing more, then yeah, he, he could be a, a very high ceiling guy. He could be an NFL guy. Um, meanwhile, with Alex Fontenot, he gets bumped down, not because I don't think he's capable of those things, but because he is a year further along in his time with Colorado. And because with Jarek Broussard as the running back, as a sophomore next year, turning Alex Fontenot into the best player that he can be doesn't have to be a priority for Colorado because he is a junior. Because you are going to have Jarek Broussard, at least in theory, whenever you have Alex Fontenot. And if you have that, you don't necessarily need to say, we need to maximize Alex Fontenot because if you maximize him, he might be better than Jarek Broussard. It's definitely possible. But if that's the case, he's not going to be much better because there just isn't that much room to grow. Um, And if he's worse, then he's your second running back. Um, And that's kind of just where Alex Fontenot fits in with this Buffs team right now. There, There will be snaps for him. There will be reps for him. But he isn't necessarily the mouth that you're trying to feed compared to a Jarek Broussard, compared to a Dimitri Stanley, Brady Russell, guys who you want to get on the field and develop 
Um, and, and that is a, a part of this conversation is, first of all, what do we get out of you by putting you on the field? But also, what can we get out of you in the future if we put you up higher on this priority sheet for reps next season? Um, and that's why Dimitri Stanley winds up just in front of Alex Fontenot. Um, but that's how I have it for this top four. Broussard, Russell, Stanley, Fontenot. And then I think that there's a little bit of a gap. This is where you get into a tough conversation. Um, another tough conversation. Because who's left is Ashad Clayton, Brendan Rice, Levante Chenault, and Maurice Bell. Now, within the receivers, I think that this is like the easiest way to shake it out is to go like through these three first. Um, Levante was more productive than Brendan Rice last year. Maurice Bell was number three out of that group. I think the, the tough call here is whether you flip Levante for Brendan or not. Um, I don't know. For, for off-the-field reasons, I guess you could justify Brendan... You could justify the swap. Again, That I feel like that's how nitpicky we have to get to separate these two because both are very good, very young, um, very talented receivers who have very high ceilings, guys who you could project out to being pros. Um, and again, what, what I look at is, first of all, obviously the production and Chenault produced more just in terms of total volume. Brendan may have had more flashes, though, um, which could really balance things out. Again, there have been a couple of off-the-field issues with Chenault. So far, none with Rice. Um, and then the the final factor, Brendan has been on campus one less year. And I think for that reason, I will put Brendan in front and say that he is my number five priority here. Or I guess we're not getting into that yet. Um, he's my number one receiver with Levante Chenault right on his heels and then a little bit of a gap between him and uh, Maurice Bell, uh, who is who I chose to include. But you could you could say that Jalen Jackson or, or some of those guys are right on his heels. Daniel Arias, for sure. Um, he gets bumped down for the, the senior thing um, because he didn't produce as much last year. Um, but he is definitely in this conversation as well. Um, so those receivers, I'm going to go Rice, Levante Chenault, and Maurice Bell. And then you figure out where you slot Ashad Clayton into that group. And that's really tough. Um, because, again, he's a young player. You want to give him touches. On top of that, I think he's really talented. And I think if you get him touches, good things are going to happen for your team. At the same time, he's at the same position group as Jarek Broussard, which means that he isn't as valuable to this team as he would be to others. Um what else is going on? Uh, I guess that's most... I mean, he, he is number three, which means he... It's tougher to put him on the field. You you can find ways to put three running backs on the field, but when you do that, you hurt yourself quite a bit. Um, you, you do become fairly predictable, um, and that hurts his value as the number three running back. And so because of that, I'm going to put a shod behind Rice and, and Chenault in front of Maurice Bell. Um, and so once we come up with this list, here's what I came up with. Uh, Jerry Broussard, Brady Russell, Dimitri Stanley, Alex Fontenot, Brendan Rice, Levante Chenault, Ashad Clayton, Maurice Bell. That's the order of priority for getting guys on the field. And 
when I did this for my Madden team, something similar happened. There was a running back up pretty high. Um, I actually had the tight end down lower, and that was a big difference. Um, And so what I wound up doing, for those of you who are curious, is I I did a whole bunch of two halfback stuff. And a lot of it with three receivers – And I know that would mean taking Brady Russell off the field. Maybe you change what you're doing because of that. Um, What you really like is the ability to to motion either Jarek or Fontenot out and have them play as basically a slot receiver and give yourself that sort of versatility. Um, and, And I think that for that reason that would be something that I really prioritize this season. You know, and and that is the big takeaway from this list, right? Is that number one is a running back, number four also a running back. You can you can feed two mouths at running back by just running a normal offense. You know, I, I think that what Jarek took probably two-thirds of the touches last year among running backs, that means that there's a full another third that can go to Alex Fontenot, and a third of the touches is pretty good for a number two back. But because it is Alex Fontenot, a good running back, and because you do have a number three back who you want out there too, I think that, again, the the biggest, most broad takeaway you can take away from all of this is that you need to find more ways to get more running backs on the field. And to do that, you need running backs who are capable of doing more than just running the football. You know, if it's a guy who can block, well, then all of a sudden you can run up with the split backs and run behind one. Um... You know, with the split backs, you can already do a bunch of things. You can already run some option type stuff. You can already um, have outside runs to the side the running backs on without asking the other running back to block. Um, you can add those inside runs if you can have a running back who can block just capably. Um, if you can turn those running backs into receivers, that opens all sorts of possibilities from screen passes to just normal uh flat routes that you can offer to your quarterback as an outlet um two if things go really well motioning one of the receivers like i said into the slot and asking him to run maybe not a full route tree but close to it you know get some slants get some ins get some outs you know just some pretty simple stuff and if you can develop that within this running backs group then you feel a lot better about how your talent is allocated. Um, If you know that some of your best plays include having Jarek Broussard and Alex Fontenot on the field, that makes you feel so much better about this team because those are two very proven pieces that you have at your disposal. And by best plays, I don't mean like you run this with the Buffaloes and get the best results. I mean like on paper, like the concepts that you know, like when you have two running backs on a play that you say, wow, this is something that's going to just tear defenses apart. They aren't going to know what to do. That is the really good feeling Um, because you're not just kind of pandering to the talent that you have. You're not saying, well, we have a bunch of good running backs, so we need to find ways to, to play with two running backs on the field, you're saying this is a really good concept that will work and we can do it with this personnel. Um, And so I do think that going through this exercise, and this is kind of what I anticipated beforehand, this is what I came away with was to use all these running backs properly, two things need to happen. First, they need to be very versatile in their skill sets. They need to be able to run Ideally, they'd be able to block and they definitely need to be able to go run routes 
and catch footballs and make plays with their legs afterward. Um, that is the key piece that needs to be built upon for, you know, Jarek needs to get better at that. Alex, assuming he is who we saw the last time we saw him play football, he needs to work on that. And Ashad Clayton, we have never seen him catch a pass in his life, so it's safe to assume that he needs to work on that as well. But that's only half the battle. The second half is this coaching staff needs to find a way to put multiple running backs on the field and still be getting the most out of what is at their disposal. They need to have some creative concepts with multiple running backs. You know, whether that's running triple option type stuff, which I think that they should. I think that that is the direction football's going is the more option, the better. You know, and I'm not saying like run the triple option, wishbone offense, any of that kind of stuff. No, no. Just have a play where you have one line up to Brendan Lewis or Sam Neuer's right, one line up to the left. And the one on the right has a little inside zone that the quarterback can either give to the running back or pull. And then you have the toss option to the running back if you don't want to keep it. You know, just some simple little things like that that you can incorporate into what you already have. And on top of that, you know, adding some screens, adding some little crossing routes. You know, just just finding creative ways to get these players on the field. Because, again, when you look at where the talent is... Where the Buffs need to skew their offense versus the average college football offense is, in my opinion, by finding ways to put more running backs on the field. And you do that by sacrificing receivers and tight ends on the field. You're not waiting one more than the other. Um, Because while Colorado does have receivers, this isn't the group that it was in the past. Um, You're still very excited and there's a whole lot of talent. But really without... KD, there's one less mouth that you know you have to feed. You know, basically, you know you have to feed Dimitri. He's to that point. Brendan and Levante, I think by the end of the year, you're going to feel like you need to be feeding both of them. That's not a lock, though, with young players. And then once you get down from there, you know, you have Maurice Bell, Daniel Arias, um, uh, Jalen Jackson, so many of those guys. Um, One or two of them, step up and say that they're worth whatever number of touches. You know, if if this shakes out the way I think it will, everybody will be getting just the right amount of opportunity. And maybe Brendan Rice and Levante Chenault will be getting more opportunity than you'd typically see for players with their experience. And And that's what you want, is to get them more opportunities. And I think that you can do all of that while also finding ways to put extra running backs on the field and take advantage of the talent that you have there. Also, knock on wood when it comes to injuries and all of this. Um, but, I don't know, I've been thinking about that stuff, and so I figured we'd pass it along. Uh, if you guys have any thoughts, anything else you'd like to see the Buffs implement, or if you want to see them change their offense one way, or you think you need more touches for whatever, or you think, why is Ashad Clayton so low on the list? You've got to be getting him the ball. That's got to be one of the priorities. Let me know in the uh, comments, and we'll get to some of those in the future. Uh, That's going to do it for today, but I will be back with another podcast tomorrow, and I am excited about it, and I'll see you then.
taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on that's nice at caskers.com we make this experience easy caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code welcome 10 for ten dollars off your first purchase get ten dollars off your first purchase with code welcome 10 at caskers.com 